The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter, <laughs> chapter 6, found on 1601 in your pew Bibles. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, run over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus, all glory and honor to you, Lord. Where's the hope? Not a wishful longing for something that might happen but a firm conviction of God's promises. Have you noticed, or am I the only one, that has recognized that more and more people are apprehensive, concerned, uneasy about the future? It is no wonder people are this way, considering what we encounter as we go about our way, as in the news these days. For example, the Rasmussen Report says that more Americans than ever, 59%, now believe it's no longer possible for anyone in the United States to work their way out of poverty. Or how about uh, the CBS TV affiliate WPEC reports that a professor in Florida Atlantic University gave his class an assignment to write the name Jesus on a piece of paper, crumple it up, throw it on the floor, and stomp on it. Or how about Forbes? We are at the precipice of the greatest retirement crisis in the history of the world. Elderly Americans, too frail to work, too poor to retire, will become the new normal for many elderly Americans. Then there is Fox News. 
The Senate approved its first budget in four years, calling for almost $1 trillion in tax increases. Then there's this, uh, this attack on our religion, published in Time Magazine's uh, website. Your child, child's religion may be a mental illness. If your child is immersed in scripture after school and prays regularly throughout the day, they may, this may be a sign of mental illness, a form of an obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD. Enough. Now this was nine years ago that all of this happened. Has anything gotten any better? I'll let you decide. However, if you look, you'll find that there, there is no shortage of things to be concerned about. With a nation divided essentially down the middle as to what is right and what is wrong, what holds us together or unites us as one nation? Where is the hope? As much as it seems that the world has gone crazy, there's one thing to remember. God is on his throne. He's in control. He was, it is, and always will be king. There is hope. King Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastics, was correct when he observed that there's nothing new under the sun. What was, will be, and there always will be. The world is not much different in Jesus' time under the Roman rule. There was a redistribution of wealth. People were heavily burdened with taxes, unable to pay their debts. Their lands were confiscated, and they became tenants on their own property. <clears throat> the Roman elite and the temple elite, the high priest, was appointed by Rome. Together, the two of them governed both production, what would be produced, and labor, who would do what work. Just as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. The question I want to explore today is, what is the answer to all this? Where is the peace? And more specifically, where's the hope? The hope is not in who we elect to office. It's not in what laws we pass or what great things we do as a nation. When, you, when looking at, for answers, it's always good and best to go to the source, God's word. 1 John 2, verse 6, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. In order to live as Jesus did, we need to know how he handled all of these kinds of situations. First, let me ask you one question. Did Jesus and his disciples turn the world upside down? Obviously, the answer is yes. In fact, from God's perspective, they turned it right side up. What influence did Jesus and his disciples have on their Roman society? They couldn't vote because there were no elections. They had no say in what laws were enacted. And as a nation, Israel failed to carry out its calling of sharing the good news, of being a blessing to all the nations. So you can see that whatever they accomplished, they did not do it by electing good leaders or passing great laws or by great national deeds. What was it they accomplished? What was so antithetical, opposite to, or better from how the world was? First, they eliminated the stratification of society. Within the church, there is no distinction of person, Colossians 
It does not matter if you are a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric or uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. This was not the case in Roman society. There was a pecking order, and you dare not forget your place in it. Consider how they elevated the status of women as an equal in marriage, Ephesians 5, 28 and 29. In the same way, husbands, you ought to love your, their wives as they love their own bodies. For what man loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. Before Jesus came along, women were chattel possessions to be owned and used. Jesus and his disciples elevated them to equals. Jesus taught that all life was precious. The Romans had a practice of discarding their babies, especially if they were girls because boys were preferred, or if they were diseased. Their practice was to just throw them by the roadside or throw them into the river. Fortunately, the Christians adopted those children and raised them as their own. Jesus and his disciples demonstrated true love. They were other-centered love as opposed to self-centered like we see in today's society. At Pentecost, the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had, Acts 2.45. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They put the need of others ahead of their own. Jesus demonstrated true love when he voluntarily hung himself on the cross, putting our need ahead of his own. In doing these things, they brought hope to a lost world, a world filled with corruption, immorality, idol worship, and so on. They brought hope of a right relationship with Almighty God. Jesus and his disciples completely transformed the Roman Empire in a mere 300 years without any military battles. Of course, that means that they had to share God's word and love for him with their children and inspire them to pass it on to their children, etc., because nobody lives for 300 years. How did they accomplish so much with no apparent means of influencing how Roman culture conducted itself? It wasn't by... Oh, who they elected or what laws were invoked or what great national deeds they did. How did they do it? Where's the hope? They were in the world, but not of it. They were salt and light to the world. They distinguished themselves from the world by doing what was right, according to God, the creator of all things. They were obedient and faithful in imitating Jesus, their rabbi, their teacher, in, a, in word and deed and pure thought. Jesus revealed God, to the, God the Father to the world around him by reflecting him in his character and his conduct to the disciples and the world around. The disciples did the same thing. Godliness was how they accomplished so much. Where's the hope? Where's the peace? The hope and the peace <clears throat> are in us. It is the power of God working in us, through us, by his Holy Spirit 
as believers that we are given the Holy Spirit to indwell us in 2 Corinthians 5, 5, God himself has prepared for us this eternal life as a guarantee he has given us his Holy Spirit and empowered us to work out our salvation. The Holy Spirit is given as a guarantee of that promise. I can hear somebody saying in their mind, what do you mean working out? I thought I was already saved. If you turn it to Philippians 2, 12 and 13, work hard to show your, the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Or as stated in another translation, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Did you catch what it said in verse 13? God is giving us the desire and the power. What's in view here is our sanctification. When we were saved, we were declared justified, not guilty, right with God. But that's not the end of it. Sanctification is a lifelong process, a process of what exactly? Of conforming our lives to the image of Jesus Christ. It is the process of conforming our lives to our legal status, justified, not guilty, right with God, that we received when we were saved. Romans 8, 29, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. Our salvation is, just, is not just about the renewing of our mind. It's changing our thoughts about what is right or merely agreeing with God's word, we are to be doers of the word, reflecting Jesus, God, to the world around us. James 1, 22 through 24, don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says, or in another translation, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. He is not leaving us to do this on our own. He has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us, so our ability to bring hope to our families and our communities is to do what Jesus' disciples did and sanctify yourself, becoming Christ-like with the help of the Holy Spirit so we can live exemplary lives and demonstrate the love of God to those around us. The hope is in us. It is the power of God working through his Holy Spirit to bring God's kingdom here on earth. How do we work out our sanctification? For us to work out our sanctification, to become like Christ, we need to know what the, the requirements are. The requirements are found in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is our teacher and is charged with revealing the mind of God. Paraphrase from John 16, 13. Therefore, thereby revealing all truth and teaching us all things just because the Holy Spirit is in charge with our working out our sanctification, we cannot just sit back and say, sanctify me. This is where the working out of our salvation comes. It become, to become doers of the word, we need to undergo a complete transformation. The renewing of our mind, our character, and our conduct is a package deal. This entails reading God's work, to discover what the requirements are and seeking the Holy Spirit's help in making the transformation. Or another way of saying this, become students of Jesus so that you can become an admirer of his 
and pay him a compliment by imitating him. The Apostle Paul does a great job of giving his congregation do's and don'ts or for righteous living in his letters to them. I don't have time to go over all of them here. However, however there are a couple of references to get you started. Look at any good study Bible and open any of, the, of Paul's letters. The outline in the front will guide you to the correct area in that letter. Try Hebrews 13 or Colossians 3, 1 through 4, 18. Or Philippians 1, 27 through 2, 18. That's a good start. Paul tells us, his congregation, that his goal is for them to be completely sanctified on the day of Jesus' return, that they may be found blameless. Even though it is the Holy Spirit's job to sanctify us, we need to seek it out. Have you ever given unsolicited advice or received it? It usually raises more animosity than it does reception, right? We need to ask him so that he's giving us what we're looking for, not imposing on us. Invite the Holy Spirit to point out the areas in us that need change and then work on changing them. This requires us to step out in faith, to take a chance, start small, say controlling your temper when somebody cuts you off in traffic, bless them you know, with... Uh, God, help them to drive safer and, and be more calm or whatever, but instead of cursing at them. It's, it may be hard at first, but it becomes easier as you practice it. The Holy Spirit will empower us to succeed. If we never step out and make an effort to transform our lives, we'll never experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Taking advantage of the Holy Spirit's enabling power is like having a car with a gigantic engine in it. And you're sitting in it, the key's on, the motor's running, and you're not going anywhere. You can turn the steering wheel all you want. You can rev up the engine up and down. But in the end, nothing's changed except the energy you put into turning the wheel and pressing on the gas pedal. It's not until you put it in gear that the gas pedal and the steering wheel work and you get somewhere. The same way with our sanctification until we step out and actually engage the Holy Spirit in changing our lives and transforming them can real change happen. I mean, we can attend church every Sunday, read the Bible six hours a day and even pray for four hours a day, attend every Bible study and even tithe 50% all sorts of activities and not change the way we need to be mind, character, and conduct we have to put it in gear and release the brake and take deliberate steps to change then we'll become empowered I, like the Apostle Paul, am not saying that I've achieved it I mean, this is a lifelong process I've had my, my moments I've had a friend pull me into and two other of my friends into a senior pastor's office to discuss what he felt was a wrong done by the three of us. The four of us were sitting on the couch across from the senior pastor, and after a while I got up and I had my finger in his face, giving him what for. And in mid-sentence, I, I stopped and changed and said, no, no, if you see me doing something offensive to you, 
please love me enough to correct me. That was the Holy Spirit changing my attitude, my mind, my attitude, my response. Yeah, he confronted me right in mid-sentence. One of the Proverbs tells us that a righteous man will receive a rebuke and gain wisdom. The fool will ignore it and gain folly. On another occasion, you know how after a meeting, a Bible study or whatever, you get together and you all hold hands and you're praying, each person's praying in order. Well, in one of those situations, I was down the line and I'm thinking, boy, I'm going to, this was early in my walk. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to blow their socks off with this tremendous prayer. And so I'm formulating this, not listening to what they're praying about. And when it got to me, I opened my mouth. And that's what happened. I couldn't say a word. Again, convicted by the Holy Spirit on the spot. So if you pay attention and you ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you in all righteousness, He will. It's just a matter of asking Him to do it and then being observant of uh, his actions in your life. Now, I could go on, you know, hours and hours, but I'm told that uh, he'll turn the sound off on me if I do. So, (laughs) it's not about me. It's about what God is prepared to do for you and through you. The hope is in God's transforming work, His power in our lives, standing stones, as it says in the Bible, testimonies to God's working in us that sets us apart from the chaos of the fallen world and holds out a promise to all who believe the hope of peace. The hope is in us, not in our own wisdom, power, or might, but in God's working through us. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit living in you and invite Jesus to live through you. Give him control. Live up to your congregation's name, Reformation. Renew your covenant with God and be the church. Be the hope. Please bow your heads in prayer. Since we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, let us put on the full armor of God. Heavenly Father, gird our loins with the belt of truth, the only truth we have, you. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, the only righteousness we have, that of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to put on the helmet of salvation and help us to hold on to everything pure and good, throwing away everything evil. Shot our feet with the gospel of peace that we might proclaim it wherever we go. And the shield of faith, give us the strength and agility to wield it untiringly, to deflect and quench every flaming arrow of the enemy. And the sword of the Spirit, may it always be at the ready. And finally, Lord, Clothe us in your kindness, your humility, your meekness, your patience, your long-suffering, and wrap it all up in your agape love, the bond of perfection, that we may reflect in our lives as we go about it, you, in the most favorable light, bringing glory and honor to both you and your kingdom, for thine is the kingdom and the power forever and ever.
Amen. In Jesus' name.